Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and we'll read the entire chapter. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid a due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and they and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks, saying anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we turn to Daniel 3, we saw the clear connection to Daniel chapter 2 in the image that Nebuchadnezzar uh, built. And we recognized in the end of chapter 2 from the context also of chapter 3 that although uh, Nebuchadnezzar's confession sounded as so good, we see that as it was developed in chapter 3 through his blasphemous reaction of building a huge and very expensive image, golden image of himself, and he gathers his high-ranking officials to bow down and worship to this image that he has made in a reflection of himself and, and his own kingdom, very similar to the head of gold that we saw in chapter 2 in his vision. And the truth is that 
that there is a God in heaven, as we see in Daniel chapter 2. A God in heaven who is king of kings and the one who is head over all exalted. And, and this, this thought really permeates the whole book of Daniel. And it's possible that you went home last week with some burning questions. I hope the most burning question for you was that, what about my confession? Is it only a skin-deep confession? Or has God radically changed my heart and my desires through His converting work? But maybe you also had other questions, such as, what will happen? Will they bow? Well, how will the king respond to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And maybe you read ahead to find out the answers for yourself, or maybe you already knew them. And yet, maybe other question came to your mind, and wondering, where is Daniel in chapter 3? What, what, was he there? Did, did he bow down? Or what, what happened to Daniel? Well, there's obviously, uh, as we read the passage just, just now, we realize that there's no real biblical answer to this. And really, any answer would be speculation as far as uh, biblical revelation goes. Although, we do recognize that Nebuchadnezzar wanted all his governors and those in places of authority to, to be there. And so, so we might think, well, certainly Daniel would be there. And yet it appears as if Daniel is off the scene for one reason or another that we would not dare to really speculate on. And that's even evidenced by, by some who have found archaeological evidence that potentially has been from this event, uh, a clay prism with, with the names of those officials on them. And, and indeed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's names are on there, and Daniel's are not. And that possibly, possibly gives, gives some answer to it. But, but what we recognize is we don't know. And, and for one reason or another, the Holy Spirit didn't see fit to teach us and to tell us where Daniel was at this time. But as... The Holy Spirit guides us through our text. What do we see? Well, we see a very familiar passage, a favorite among children. Children love stories about about heroes, about David and Goliath, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here in this this trial of the fiery furnace. And this... this, um, this, this account then can become very familiar to us, and, and hence we begin to ask questions that we might not even have the answers to. And sometimes it takes away from the suspense and, and, and takes away the sharpness of the real message of this chapter. And even today we find that this passage has become a focus for, for many churches, especially as churches consider when and how to defy laws, especially as we find them restricting worship even in our, in our day. Or maybe I think of even more important issues that, that are right on the horizon, such as bills that, that promote euthanasia and others that forbid conversion therapy. And, and indeed, as these bills are on the brink of becoming laws of our land that that these bills will certainly have an impact on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as mental health and, and physical health care employees. And so we need to recognize 
that there are lessons that we are called to learn here in this chapter. And the ultimate lesson that we are called to learn is that there is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we must know that indeed God is in sovereign control and He's already won the victory. And all the nations will ultimately glorify Him. However, we acknowledge that the end does not come right away. And in many earthly clashes between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, this is so evident. Sometimes there's many, many weary days and nights facing the, the hatred of, of the world. And, and when you're in the middle of such a clash, then we recognize that it can seem to have no end. When we are confronted with it, we are challenged and we, we tremble at it. We think about a boss that might tell us and require of us to do something immoral. Otherwise, you would get fired. And you are challenged with these questions. Will Jesus Christ go with me through this fire? How will he protect me? How will he provide for me? And, and you don't have all of those answers. And you wonder, am I going to lose my job? Am I not going to be able to feed my family? And you become anxious. And indeed, we recognize that, that this chapter gives us a great encouragement of of a testimony of, faith, of the faithful in the midst of exile, in the midst of the kingdom of darkness. And yet this passage is not only about the faithful to give us encouragement, but it's about God who does give us encouragement, a God who is with us through all trials, and a God who is, saves us. And this God, in this chapter, our God, will answer Nebuchadnezzar and his question in verse 15, Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? I'd like to look at, I'd like to look at this chapter with the theme, The Faithful Tried by Fire. And we're going to see their trial, their faith, and their salvation. First of all, then, as the faithful are tried by fire, let's look at their trial. It really began with Nebuchadnezzar's command, either bow or burn. And you could imagine the tension that must go through their hearts and their, their emotions as normal men. They were normal just like you and like me. And certainly, this must challenge, challenge them in the sense that, well, if I just bow, I will keep my influence. I will keep my good relationship with the king. I will live peaceably with all men. After all, I'm just honoring the king's command. And, and this question would come to their mind. However, we read in the passage that there are certain Jews in high places who do not bow down and did not bow down, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They chose rather the latter. They did not bow, and therefore, they will be burnt. And we find this, especially as we see the malicious accusation of the Chaldeans as they, as they come, and this trial continues, and they accuse the Jews. And they, and they come before them, and they, and they come before the king and says, O king, they have no, not, not paid any regard to you. They do not serve your 
worship the golden image which you have set up. And so they're maliciously accused by these Chaldeans who, who despise these Jews and, and, and brought them before the king. And this king is now filled with rage and fury. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, told them to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before the king. And he says to them point blank, Is it true you have not bowed? And he wants to actually give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they didn't understand, whatever it was. Are you ready at this time to bow? He wants to give them one more chance. And the pressure's on. It's probably even more pressure than was in that fiery furnace. Here the pressure is on. If you will fall down in worship, good. But if you will not, you will burn in the burning, fiery furnace. And then he's bold enough to say, who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? I'm right here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The furnace is right there. It's your decision. Who is a God who can save you from my hands? The trial is on. The trial is there. The pressure's on. And obviously this pressure of this trial requires a a very clear response. You don't have to search very far in the Scriptures to know the first and second commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, nor bow down to them. And today there are trials that may come upon us and that that we will also be required to give a clear response. Just like in Acts chapter 4, verse 18, when, when John and Peter were called before the leaders of their day and, and they were commanded not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And but Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And we will be faced also with these same trials also in our life. Whether it be in our homes, whether it be in our places of employment, whether it be in our society. I think of, I think of an example for, for children. If, if it's, 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 it's a dra- dramatic example, but uh, nonetheless, you probably can't even imagine this today, but but if your parents asked you to go into the grocery store and steal a loaf of bread and sneak back out, would you do it? And you say, well, f- of course not. The Eighth Commandment is very clear. You shall not steal. But your parents say, well, if you don't do it, you will go hungry tonight, and it's only for your good and our good. And you say, well, I still can't do it. It's forbidden in God's Word. And I say, well, the consequence, if I have to go do it, you're going to go to your room and you're going to go without the bread, whether we have it or not. And so you know that you'll go hungry. And maybe you've been hungry for many days already. What would you do? You see, we must obey God in those situations rather than even the parental authority that God has given us. Or maybe you're in employment. And, and your, your boss asks you to work on the Sabbath day and do works that are not works of necessity. And if you do not, 
you will lose your job. Who do you obey? Do you go into work that next Sunday to do something that God would not approve of doing on the Sabbath day? And sometimes we recognize that not every situation is is black and white. We think about another person who it's actually kind of formulated off a true story that was employed by an employer who was an ungodly man, a boss, that denied really who God was. And he wanted to, to get into the ministry. He wanted to go to seminary, and they encouraged him to go to this conference. And he was all excited about it, and he asked his boss, can I have next Friday off? So I can explore this option and, and to go to this conference and, and knowing that this would give him contacts and, and, and opportunities and, and his bosses, no, I need you at work. And this man had been faithfully laboring. He hadn't taken a day off in a long time. But his boss denied him the day off. And he, he went to work because that's what he was called to do. They say, well, that was unfair. It was unjust. You see, every situation is not necessarily black and white, like, like working on the Sabbath. I, I, think of, uh, I think of how many people this has really brought down along with their families. I, I, I once knew a man who, who always made a mountain out of, out of a molehill and, and, and acted as if he was a martyr in every situation when, when people didn't side with him. And he went from church to church to church to church. He was always in different churches because, because he'd find something wrong and, and he's looking for that perfect church and, 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 and he would make a martyr out of himself every, everywhere he went. Just recently, this person is out of employment as well because he thought it was such a biblical principle that, that you would not have to wear a face mask on a particular job that he is doing. And, and so He's now out of work because he refused to do so. And, and making, making all kinds of stands like, like these and bouncing from one place to the other, you might look and sound like, I'm daring to be a Daniel. I'm daring to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And yet you are sorely mistaken. And so we need to learn what, from this as well and from these trials, how do we discern when to defy authority? Well, first of all, we need to remember that authority is given by God for our good. And whether it is authority that comes from parents or your employment or the church or government, we, we recognize that here in this passage, we are clearly dealing with a tyrannical king who's clearly telling them to do something that is a great evil and abomination before God. But we need to be sure that our parents, our employer, our government, or, or our church is causing us to sin by their commands. And that there's absolutely no way to escape. Many times in trials, God does provide a way of escape. It's possible that he provided Daniel a way of escape out of this chapter. In one way or the other. There's no, no, no mention of Daniel in this chapter, in this test. He will receive a test at another time. 
a test that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were delivered from and didn't, didn't get accused when they were called not to pray. And yet, he provides many, many types of escapes, doesn't he? He provides escapes of, of just simply respectfully dialoguing with authority. And sometimes minds can be changed and hearts can be softened. Other times, they're, 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 there's in, in job places, there's, there's opportunities for a different position at work. Or even as the pandemic drags on, we recognize that even for us today, we can have outdoor services and we continue to pray for um, our drive-in services and we continue to pray, pray for uh, more opportunities for outdoor services. And, and as we seek to follow God's command to gather together in worship, the worship of, of God in person. And many times we don't like the situations. Many times it's not our preference. And although Calvin is very clear that we must respectfully obey God rather than men in the context of Daniel 3 here or Acts chapter 4, especially when these clear commands come from Scripture, and, and, and yet we need to hear what Calvin says about honoring and submitting to authority. As a matter of fact, when it comes to Calvin interacting with, with authority, even a tyrannical and an ungodly authority, he writes this in, 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 in his 24th point in addressing the magistrate. He says, But let us insist at greater length in proving what does not so easily fall into the views of men. In other words, when it's not our, when it's not our preference, when it's when it is very shady even when there's, when there's speculation even of, of ulterior motives and all of this, he says, every individual, every official, even of the worst character, the one who is most unworthy of all honor, if invested with public authority, receives the illustrious divine power which the Lord has by his word devolved on the ministers of his justice and judgment, and that accordingly, in so far as public obedience is concerned, he is to be held in the same honor and reverence as the best of kings. Well, that's a convicting quote uh, from Calvin on how to, how to view authority over us even when it is unjust, even when it is ungodly, And we need to remember, especially as parents, that children are very perceptive. And we need to be very careful how we speak of those persons that God has vested with his illustrious divine power and authority from God. Otherwise, how could we ever expect them to have any honor or respect for us as parents? And therefore, it's very important, as I hinted last week, we need to be absolutely sure that when we are taking a stand, that we are not bowing down to our own desires and our own idols, but that we stand purely for the glory of God, that we stand purely based on the whole counsel of God. For example, there are situations where 
We need to evaluate more than one commandment of God to discern these matters. And we must always remember that each one of the Ten Commandments of God are perfect and holy and a complete reflection of who He is. And so therefore we cannot say that one commandment or one table of the law is more important than the other. Otherwise we're going to run into some great theological problems. As we saw, God's attributes are indivisible. Some weeks ago, And so we actually then would be bowing to a God of our own imagination rather than the triune God who is perfect and holy. And in a broken world, we will be tried in these things. Rahab even had to lie for those who, those who were spies in the city of Jericho. And yet any time we have to break even one of God's commandments, humility and grief that it should bring us. And we need, to, we need to recognize that in this fallen world, as we would potentially even have to ever defy a government, that it ought to bring us great grief. Or if we would have to defy a parent's command or an employer's command, it ought to bring us humility and grief. Not, look at me, I'm defying and I'm courageous, and I'm bold. Because everyone loves heroes, don't they? And we boast ourselves then as the God of Nebuchadnezzar is raised up on the plain of Derma. But every Christian actually knows how weak and how frail we are, and the only place we can truly find courage from is the Lord himself, and that courage needs to come clearly from his word in order to dare to be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or a Daniel, we need to find that clearly from his word. And it must be done by faith. We have a great example in our passage that God does grant that faith. We see that not only their trial, but also, secondly, in their faith. Their faith. The faithful are tried by fire, and we see then their faith. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. For them, it was a clear and settled matter, a matter of faith. They knew and believed the very word of God. They knew the commandments of God. And that's the basis for their defiance. They're standing instead of bowing. The basis is that we do not serve your gods and we will not worship the gold image which you have set up. And yet they knew also the very word of God. They knew also the fifth commandment that they are called to honor authority. And they had deep respect for the king. You can find that also in their address of the king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, king. They have deep respect for them. They honor authority in this. They recognize that he is the authority that God has placed over them. But they also know not only 
God's word and his law, but they know their God, a God who is all-powerful. And they believe in this God who is all-powerful. They believe in the God who had delivered them in the past, who made a way through the Red Sea and across the Jordan into the promised land. He is the God who they can trust. And he is a God who knows every trial they're in. They probably even knew Isaiah chapter 43, which would have been a great encouragement to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 3, we find that Isaiah there is prophesying of this very thing. And he says to them, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And certainly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had every right to be nervous, sweating, and trembling before King Nebuchadnezzar, who's filled with rage and fury. And yet, they could know with confidence their God who will deliver them. When they walk through fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. You see, they knew their God so well that they could accept the very consequences of their actions and to do so without any complaint. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are right to throw us into the fire. We have defied you. They accept the consequences. That's that's what faith does. It accepts the consequences. If you're speeding down the road and you get a ticket, you accept the consequences. It's wrong for you to go and lie and try to get out of that ticket in a courtroom. It's wrong. You accept the consequences. Even if it's an unjust, unfair speed limit. Even if it's, even if it's, even if you don't agree with something, if you, if you get caught and you have to pay the consequences, you pay them. That's, that's what faith does, and that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do as well. There's another evidence of their respect and honor of the king. They're willing and ready to pay the price, even with their own life if necessary. Because they can trust in the providence of God. They, can, they know this God. They can trust in Him. And they even say to Him, but if not, if God does not deliver us out of that fiery furnace, know this, we cannot go against our God. We do not serve your gods and we will not bow down to the gold image you have set up. There's but if nots in this world. There are a lot of them. Most martyr, most people who come into this trial are in the category, but if not, I think of Guido de Bray, who also trusted in the providence of God, very similarly convicted by the truths of God's word. He articulates those truths in our treasured Belgic confession of faith and sends it to the king. And yet he was burned at the stake. And yet the fire of men delivered him from this life into glory. 
countless martyrs throughout history have not received the protecting providence in this life. But rather were received into glory as faithful martyrs of God and as God used their martyrdom to further the gospel throughout this world. You see, Jesus' words ring true in Matthew 10, verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Oh, dear congregation, when we look at the faith of these men, we might conclude that I have never had such faith and I don't think I could ever endure such a trial. I'm not even a believer. You want to know something? If you came up to me and confessed this very thing, I would actually have great respect because by nature... Not a one of us can stand in such a trial. We need the grace of God to take that stand when it's necessary, even if it means our life. Throughout history, we find people who who would have said, yes, we will stand, we will stand. We will dare to be a Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. We will dare to be a Daniel. But when the trial comes, they're nowhere to be found. This is why it's good to consider these things today. It's not in our strength, but in faith in Him alone that we also will receive this grace. Everyone likes heroes, but a Christian hero is really a hero of faith. And that faith shows that, that they have that hope and that strength and that courage from God Himself. And we find that in Hebrews 12, verse 33, don't we? That through faith they subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and quenched the violence of fire. And through that faith, they received salvation from their God. That's what we see in the third point. Not only their trial and their faith, but also their salvation. This king is now utterly filled with fury, completely. He's so angry that he stokes up the furnace seven times hotter. So hot, a matter of fact, as we read in in verse 21, that the men who brought them, they died because the fire was so hot. But what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Did they even make it to the fiery furnace? Yes, they fell in with their clothes on. With their hands bound. They fell into the fire. A fire that was seven times hotter than than what they normally would cast men who defied into it. But what happens to them? Well, their, 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 their bonds are loosened. And there's this fourth person in the furnace of fire. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, we read in verse 24. And he rose up in haste and spoke, saying to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered him and said, True, O king. Look, he said, 
I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. Their, their, bone, their bones are gone. They're, there's no, they're, they're no longer tied up. They're not even hurt. And the fourth one is like the Son of God. And that even raises more questions, doesn't it? What would have Nebuchadnezzar knew about the Son of God? Well, we don't know. We don't know why he said that. But we do know this. Nebuchadnezzar realized that fourth person in the fire was not some ordinary man. There was something divine about this person. And certainly he has a right. Certainly he was right. This is the pre-incarnate form of the Lord Jesus Christ who is with his faithful servants in the fire. It's what we call a Christophany. It's it's the presence of Christ in the Old Testament as an angel of the Lord. And he was with them in the fire and he delivered them from the fire with a complete deliverance. Notice that in verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar went there Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. He, God, God so greatly delivered them that he turned the heart of Nebuchadnezzar on a dime. At moments notice, Nebuchadnezzar changes his heart and he comes up to, to the, the mouth of the, the, this intensely hot furnace and he calls out to them to come out and to come here. And he gathers now the satraps and the administrators and the governors and everyone around them. And they they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not even singed, nor their garments affected. The smell of the fire wasn't even on them. What amazing comfort and encouragement for us today. Christ is with us in the midst of fire's of trials, of afflictions, and persecution. He does not leave us alone. He will be with us even to the end of the age. And not one hair of our head will even be singed or fall to the ground. Our garments will not be burned or even smell like smoke. Unless it's His will. He's with us. And he delivers with a complete deliverance. Think about Nebuchadnezzar now. (laughs) Who who remembers this huge idol on the plains of Dura now? Even Nebuchadnezzar forgot about it. Servants of the Most High God. Even his satraps, administrators, governors, and all the king's counselors, they gather around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rather than this golden statue who has remembered now the huge idol on the plains of Dura. We see that especially as Nebuchadnezzar goes on with this confession. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. And they have frustrated the king's word, yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. He even makes a decree that anyone who speaks against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, and their houses shall be an ash heap. 
because there's no other God who can deliver like this. He even promotes, promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to high places in the province of Babylon. We also must remember that it's not just about having high places and authority here. But even if the Lord is pleased, even if He's pleased to allow that fire to consume us and we perish and die in that fire of affliction, of persecution, that there will be a great promotion on the last day, a great promotion as we find in Revelation, as John writes, as Christ speaks to one of the churches. He says, be faithful to death and I will give you a crown of life. What a promotion that will be. We don't always think about it. Nor do we think about the trials that might come our way in this life. Perhaps one day very soon, we will also be in a trial similar to that of Daniel, or sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel in chapter, chapter 5. And yet we recognize our weakness. Possibly we will shake and sweat, be sorrowful about the situation. We will call for counsel from others, wondering what, what will we do in such a situation? Well, I pray on that day that we will remember the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God who is in heaven, the one who will enable us to look away from our fears and our trembling. One who will give us the grace to confess this is my God and I do this in glory to Him because He is in sovereign control and I can leave all of the consequences. I can leave my whole future in His hands trusting that He will provide me even in the fire because He has saved me with a complete and everlasting salvation. I'm reminded of the words of Jim Elliot. He wrote, He is no fool who could risk what he cannot keep to gain whatever he can never lose. That needs to be the conviction of the faithful who are tried by fire. We can be called fools according to the wisdom of this world, but you are no fool when you put your faith in the Word of God in the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because though you would gain the whole world here below, in this life, you can keep nothing. We have seen it again in this past week where two loved ones, members of our congregation, have passed away. You keep nothing. But those who will let go in this life of all the glamour and all the riches and surrender to the Most High God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will gain everything in glory and will lose nothing for all eternity. May God grant us His grace to live before the face of God and the revelation of God in light of eternity. Amen.
Let's pray. Oh God, we come unto you in this hour. For to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is salvation in you that you might be feared. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would grant us faith. That you would grant us that faith that can endure any trial. Because Lord, in ourselves we can fail and we mess up so miserably. Bow to all kinds of idols. Lord, grant us your grace and forgive us of all of our sins and show us that glorious salvation that there is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who walks with his people in the midst of fire and who delivers them with a complete deliverance. For Jesus' sake, amen.